MacCast, Sunday, March 6th, 2022. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by Coda. More on them a little later in the show. Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Apple Mac News, Goings Ons, all the happenings here in and around the Apple and Macintosh community. Hope you are having a wonderful day, weekend, whatever it may be. We had a nice little weekend here, although been a little bit hectic in my life and i'll fill you in on that uh, probably in the next week or two when things calm down a little bit but hopefully things are going well for you uh we do have quite a show for you today we're going to get into a lot of stuff and in, in, including the latest on apple's next event yep we actually have something on the books folks so we will talk about that we can talk about what's next for apple watch got some historical apple tv plus news to get into um, want to do a little kind of community story on Bluetooth and some things that are going on there in terms of the technology and get into displays and that will kind of round out the news for this week. And then in the feedback section, again, a little more community stuff. I want to talk about a little project that a member of our community uh, put together. Also uh, get into a question from a listener about OneDrive and Mac syncing. We're going to talk about iCloud, although I just noticed in my notes that it says I could. Uh, that's a whole different thing, I think. Uh, I definitely could uh, fix the show notes, which I just did. So there you go. A little iCloud thing to get into. And then we have a great listener thing of the moment. So a cool little piece of software to talk about doing some video projects with. And that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So should be a good one. Before we dive into everything, though, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Kanji. You know, if you work in IT or tech in an Apple environment and have to manage multiple devices and machines, you know how time-consuming that can be. A new Mac can be transformed into a ready-for-work computer with all the right apps and settings in place. Devices managed by Kanji keep themselves secure. The apps are patched, the Mac OS is updated, and security controls are enforced without active management from admins. And as an Apple admin, the more you can let users control which apps are installed on their devices, the better for you. Kanji's self-service app lets you do just that on both iOS and macOS. And not only that, it'll make your users a lot happier. I happen to work in an environment that is extremely locked down, and I can tell you how frustrating it is for myself and my system admins as well that I have to create a ticket every time I need something updated or installed on my Mac. It's a whole entire process. It slows things down, and uh, it can be made a lot easier. With Kanji, you can show users a curated list of apps that they can install all on their own. And you can customize that self-service app with your own branding, help text, and software categories. Apps in Kanji's auto app catalog can also be set to deliver via self-service. And once installed, they are kept 
patched automatically. And Kanji has been focused on device autonomy through automated remediation since they first started. If an app is uninstalled or a setting changed, the Kanji agent detects it and fixes it, saving you time and stress. Kanji can also help you protect endpoints by enforcing over 150 pre-built security controls. These controls go beyond the scope of the MDM framework to help you secure your devices. They also automatically remediate even when your devices are offline. Go to kanji.io slash maccast for a free demo or trial. That's k-a-n-d-j-i dot io slash maccast kanji.io slash maccast for a free trial or demo and a big thank you to kanji for their support of the maccast apple has announced their next event they are calling it peak performance p-e-e-k so clever play on words that maybe could indicate at least one of the announcements could be a sneak peek They sent out the invitations virtually via email, and the event will take place on March 8th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Again, it is also a virtual event. That is now the official time and place. We thought it was going to be that. I think a previous episode of the MacCast, we probably talked about that. As far as what we are expecting them to announce... Pretty strong indications at this point that we'll see a third generation of the iPhone SE, maybe a refreshed iPad Air or entry-level iPad, and also a new Apple Silicon-based Mac of some sort. That one's a little less certain as to exactly what we're going to see. On the iPhone SE, we are expecting Apple to uh, basically refresh that model. Not No, no design change here, uh, no screen changes or... F- Big functional changes, but they will update the processor to an A15 Bionic and add in 5G support. Although we did get some new tidbits from Ming-Chi Kuo this week, mentioning that there might be a new 256 gigabyte storage option, that the 5G could include support for both millimeter wave and sub 6 gigahertz 5G connectivity, and also that we're not expecting any new colors, which is a little bit of a bummer, right? But hey, you get the nice black, white, and red options, which aren't too bad. Uh, So that's what's happening with the iPhone SE. Nice entry-level phone with uh, some good, good updates there. iPad Air 5 is also expected. Again, no major design changes, but Apple bringing the specs up. A15 Bionic chip in there as well is expected. 5G connectivity, and then they are expected to upgrade that uh, front-facing camera to the 12-megapixel ultra-wide version, which would bring with it the center stage support. So that's something uh, I wish they would bring to the Mac. Not even the new M1 systems have that center stage. So that's a cool new feature. So if you're in the market for an iPad Air, uh, that may be the device for you. And then on the Mac side, uh, potentially new Macs. Again, a little less certain here. Uh, likely to announce maybe an entry-level 13-inch MacBook Pro update, possibly with the new M2 processor, and there could be an update to the Mac Mini, maybe with the M2, but also there's the outside chance we could see that Mac Mini quote-unquote Pro with Apple adding an M1 Pro option and M1 or M1 or and, I guess, M1 Max option to the Mac Mini. 
Mark Gurman did claim this week that the M2 is quote unquote ready to go. So it does seem like a MacBook Pro or a Mac Mini are likely candidates at this event. As for that little play on words, the peak part, who knows if that's even going to be a thing, if that's just Apple marketing kind of playing around, but it does get your thoughts going with all the stuff we've been talking about that is rumored to be in the Apple pipeline. Of course, the AR VR headset and a lot of folks were trying to speculate that because Apple has a VR element to their page, you know, if you go to the Apple events page and you click on the Apple logo on an iPhone, you get an AR experience that that means, hey, they're going to you know show off the AR VR headset stuff or give us a sneak peek of that. Apple's been doing that VR thing for the last few events, so I don't put too much stake in that, but hey, I guess that could happen. Another thing that would be potentially possible is Apple showing off the kind of next generation of their M1 processors, the Pro-er, if that's a word. No, it's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Pro-er versions of the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, so the double, or I think it's quad and and uh, eight times the Max, those big processors we're expecting for a new updated Mac Pro. Maybe they'll show us uh, that. Could be lots of new stuff. Um, what would you be interested in seeing as a peak of new Apple technology? I know a lot of people are probably thinking Apple Car, but I think we're way too, way, way too early for that. That's too much of a sneak peek uh, on that one. So lots of options out there. Could be fun. But hey, on March 8th, we get an event just a few days away as I'm recording this. So expect uh, coverage of that on a future episode of the MacCast. Not likely to be showing up at this next event, but Mark Gurman has some speculation on what might be next for Apple Watch. This is from his latest newsletter. He's expecting Apple to deliver three new models sometime this year, an updated Series 8, an updated SE edition, and a new edition geared to extreme sports. I've been calling this one the Apple Watch G-Shock edition, we, it's been in the rumors for a while now, but sounds like this might be the year that we see that new design. As for the new designs or new features beyond that, he's not expecting much more than updated processors, not any really big design chains, changes outside of the new Extreme version, of course. He does note that there should be significant software updates around activity tracking, but thinks it's only possible there might be one new sensor, uh, the body temperature monitor, and even that seems a little bit iffy at this point. It's been said that Apple is continuing to look at new sensors for the Apple Watch, the body temperature sensor, of course, but we've also heard about blood pressure monitoring and blood sugar monitoring and reporting, but to date, none of those have surfaced in an Apple Watch, and this year, it doesn't seem like that is likely to happen either, which is kind of a bummer. I'd really like to see the Apple Watch advance, especially in terms of those health sensors and functionality. I know that's tricky stuff for the engineers. You've got FDA things and regulations and all those sorts of uh, hoops to jump through, so it's not surprising that it's taking longer. Despite that, German does seem excited about this year's updates, saying that he expects, quote, the biggest in the history of the Apple Watch since the original model. So not sure why he's uh, doing that when it seems like there's not big design changes or anything like that. Maybe it's on the software side, but it doesn't really talk about that in the newsletter thing. 
So outside of German's comments, uh, display analyst Ross, Ross Young also mentioned that Apple could add a new larger display size to the 41mm and 45mm size options that they have now. It does make me wonder if a larger display would go with that new extreme sports model since those tend to be larger watches anyway, but that wasn't part of Ross Ross Young's comments at all. Just kind of speculation on my point. Just thinking if you're going to have a bigger watch, uh, a more chunky extreme watch, it would make sense that it might have a slightly larger display. So we'll have to wait and see, but uh, some things coming for Apple Watch probably later this year. Apple has announced a currently untitled Apple TV Plus series based on the life of Benjamin Franklin. It is a limited series based on the book A Great Improvisation, Franklin, France, and the Birth of America by Stacey Schiff. Not only that, but it will star Michael Douglas in the title role as Ben Franklin. It covers him at the age of 70 when he served to convince France in 1778 to create the Franco-American Alliance and support American democracy to help it gain independence. The show will be written and executive produced by Kirk Ellis, which I think is amazing because he's also known for the series John Adams, which if you've ever seen that actually partially covers some of the same historical events with Franklin. And I really enjoyed that part of John Adams. So to see that potentially expanded into an entire series... I think it's going to be great. I love historical dramas, so I am really looking forward to seeing this whenever it arrives on, whenever it arrives on Apple TV Plus. But we don't have any kind of date at this point. Obviously, since it's even untitled at this point, I think it's a ways off. But I am looking forward to seeing this one. As you know, I think because we've been talking about it quite a bit here on the MacCast, Apple is looking to get more live sports content on Apple TV Plus, and to that end, they had done a deal with Major League Baseball for streaming rights, uh, but it looks like now they may have to share those with NBC. This is coming from a report in the New York Post. You may remember last month, Apple said that it was very, or the news said rather, that Apple was very close to getting a streaming deal for weekday national games uh, for Major League Baseball. This is because ESPN is ending their contract, and it sounds like not being renewed. Apple had been hoping to gain exclusive rights, but the new report says that NBC Sports has had, quote, serious talks with the MLB for broadcasting the games on their network and streaming service Peacock. Reportedly, Major League Baseball is looking to get between 100 to $150 million out of the deal, and Apple could end up paying the majority of that, according to the report. And then lastly, in Apple TV Plus news for this week, Apple has also apparently made a deal for a new Apple TV Plus series based on the 1927 silent film Metropolis, originally directed by Fritz Lang. This new adaptation will, I assume, not be silent and is going to be written, directed, and run by Sam Ismail, who is well known for the TV series Mr. Robot. And 
you never caught Mr. Robot, I actually loved that series. It's about a hacker, and it is great. I guess it also helps that uh, I'm a pretty big Christian Slater fan, and he has a great role in that series. Um, But if this new one is up to the same writing and quality of that show, I have no doubt that uh, this adaptation of Metropolis is going to be amazing. So another thing to look forward to on Apple TV+. Plus, I have to say, again, I think it just keeps getting better and better. I think I heard this week that After Party is up for a second season, and if you haven't seen that show, I'm really enjoying that one as well. So that's well worth checking out. We've heard the rumors that Apple wants to be able to deliver their lossless audio format over wireless, but they haven't been able to pull that off just quite yet. Still, while they've been working on their own version, it seems like Qualcomm has done exactly this. They introduced two new chips this past week, the S3 and S5, that use Bluetooth 5.3 technology and combine that with a new aptX adaptive-based audio codec that enables bit rates that can support lossless audio. As a matter of fact, they claim it can do both regular lossless quality or CD quality and partial high-res audio. Now, the issue is that Apple, as you may or may not know, does not use Qualcomm chips, so they're not going to get the benefit from this, but I have to imagine that Apple will have lossless wireless audio very soon as well. Again, it's been rumored they've been working on it for quite a bit. I would think it would be something they'd want to have in place when they next update the AirPods Pro. But main reason I wanted to bring up this story is I wanted to do a little bit more kind of community stuff. And this felt very much like something we could talk about in our community. I'm curious what you think. Is wireless lossless audio something that is really important to you? I personally have to be very honest and say that for me, it's kind of, mm, I'm, I'm not really thrilled one way or the other. I guess I'm kind of uh, a little bit uh, ambivalent about it. Um, I think it's a nice to have. I wouldn't mind having it, but if I'm being truthful, I really can't tell in uh, the audio when it's lossless or not lossless. I do have it turned on on my Apple Music account, and I have HomePods, and they all support it, that sort of thing, but if you push come to shove got me in a room and played me a lossless file versus in, say, AAC compressed track or just an Apple audio codec compressed track, I'm not really sure I could actually tell the difference. And so to me, great. You know, I always like technology getting better, and I think that's a great thing. I just don't know if it will really change my life if my AirPods can suddenly play lossless audio. So what do you think about this? Uh, Shoot me some feedback, send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. And then finally in the news for this week, to me this past week was a little bit confusing when it came to display rumors because there seemed to be, at least to me, some confounding reports surrounding the future of Apple displays. First, we had an exclusive from 9to5Mac, whose sources told them that Apple is working on a new, even higher resolution 7K Apple Studio display. So this would be higher resolution than the Pro Display XDR. They also mentioned that the new display would be built with an A13 chip, which is a rumor we've had 
before that Apple's been working on this new display. It was going to have an A-series processor. But what's not clear is if this new display is the lower cost display we had been hearing about because that's the previous rumor, right? We were going to get a lower cost display, something that wasn't quite as high priced as the Pro Display XDR. And uh, that part about having an A-series processor played right into that. The fact that they call it a studio display and not an XDR display also seems to indicate that it'd be more of a prosumer model, something to replace the old studio display that Apple actually discontinued. But then the confounding part is you have that resolution. It's going to be higher resolution than the Pro Display XDR. German says that he even thinks this might be the thing that Apple gives us a peek at at the event. Uh, this week. So he claims that Apple has, quote, completed work on it months ago uh, so that it's all ready to go. They can uh, start to show it off and that's what we're going to get a peek at. That would be awesome and I'd love to see that. And then we have Ming-Chi Kuo tweeting tweeting out that Apple is going to have a more, quote-unquote, affordable 27-inch display uh, and that to keep costs lower, it will likely not have many LED backlighting or some of the other xdr tech so i guess it could be a 27 inch 7k display although that feels kind of small right i think we want something a little bit larger Uh, but then we have been getting the rumors about a new 27 inch imac and so maybe apple's looking at the kind of the same kind of display tech although again with the imac we've been hearing that it probably would have mini LED backlighting and maybe even something more like an iMac Pro. So something's going on with Apple displays. I'm not really sure exactly what, but I think all of us can agree that we're looking forward to more Apple displays and hopefully potentially something that's a little less expensive and something more of us could actually afford. I think I mentioned on previous episodes of the MacCast that I'm in the market for uh, potentially some new monitors. And if Apple can give me a new Apple display, I may hold out for that. You know, I've been shopping, but now that these rumors are going on, I think I may wait a little bit longer. But what do you think? Are you excited about a potential new Apple display? And would you want something on the real high end, like an update to the Pro Display XDR? Or are you more the person like myself who's looking for Apple to bring back more of a quote-unquote consumer-level display. And I'm really going to say prosumer-level display because we know it's going to be priced higher than uh, just your average consumer display. But shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Now, before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another show sponsor, and that is Coda. You know what's great? Being able to work from anywhere. I just need my laptop and decent Wi-Fi, and I am good to go. And you know what's not so great? Being spread out across the country and trying to keep the team on the same page and focused on tasks. That's where Coda comes in. With teams working all across the country, if your best work is spread out across documents and spreadsheets and a stack of workflow tools that you have to jump in and out of all day, you need Coda. It's the doc that brings it all together. Coda is endlessly customizable and connected, and there are templates for anything and everything. Product roadmap, remote onboarding, OKR tracker, meeting notes, you name it, Coda has it. Coda adapts to growing teams and changing strategies. It can help change how you view information depending on what you need to do with it. And perhaps most importantly, Coda seamlessly integrates with the tools you need. Everything in Coda is synced. 
make an update in a table and it automatically shows up everywhere. No more relying on copy and paste to keep linchpin projects current. Your team can operate on the same information and collaborate the way we all want to, quickly and efficiently. With Coda, you can solve for just about anything. And right now, you can get started having your team all working together on the same page for free. Head over to coda.io slash maccast. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O slash maccast. Coda.io slash maccast. And a big thank you to Coda for their support of the show. Did you see this week the new mini Mac Mini, the even smaller Mac Mini? And no, it wasn't from Apple. Uh, It came from YouTuber Quinn Nelson of Snazzy Labs. He has a great YouTube channel. If you haven't caught it before, you should really check it out. And he did an amazing M1 Mac Mini hack. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But as you know, uh, the Apple standard M1 machines, not the Pro or Max systems, but all of the M1 machines use the same processor. So whether it's the 13-inch MacBook Pro or the Mac Mini or the MacBook Air, they all have the same processor. But obviously, the Mac Mini probably has the biggest form factor in terms of space. And what's super odd is that despite that processor, the M1, Apple Silicon, having so much more energy efficiency and giving off way less heat, Apple chose to use the same old Mac mini case that it always has. And as uh, Nelson points out, it still has the massive 150-watt power supply leftover from the Intel era Mac Mini. And it really doesn't need all of that. It's not really clear why Apple chose to keep the form factor exactly the same and not really redesign it. Uh, Maybe it was to just save money. Uh, Maybe it is because they're planning a redesign in the future. Maybe they didn't want to redesign it because it could upset some of their biggest customers for the Mac Mini, like education and the enterprise. They depend on that form factor, say, for like rack mounting Mac Minis in a server farm. So that could have really screwed things up. Uh, Nelson points out all of this stuff, but then proves that the Mac Mini could be smaller by proceeding to basically hack it apart, uh, throw in a new power supply. uh, And he really just takes the existing internals. He's not doing anything over the top. Um, puts it in a custom 3D printed case inspired by a Mac Pro and ends up with a Mac Mini that is 78% smaller than Apple's version, which is just incredible. They make kind of a big deal about the case and, you know, they do a nice job 3D printing it. Personally, I didn't think it was that awesome or snazzy, I guess pun intended. Uh, but, you know, it's it's fine for a 3D printed case. Um, but overall, just the project itself is incredibly impressive, right? It would be even more impressive if Apple actually redesigned the Mini because they could actually make it potentially even smaller than what Nelson did because if you redesign the board and move things around, you could definitely get it even smaller and it could be really, really incredible. So I wanted to bring this up because if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Uh, It's a really cool thing. And again, these are members of our community, uh, YouTubers and 
uh, folks that are doing really, really cool stuff. So I'd like to recognize them and, and kind of show off their work if you haven't had a chance to see it. But the other thing is, is just to bring up the conversation of, do you think the Mac Mini is kind of overdue for a redesign? Because I kind of feel like it really is. And especially in the era era of Apple Silicon, it feels like Apple could do a lot more with the form factor of the Mini. They really could potentially minify the Mini. And is that potentially a good thing or not? I don't really know. I don't see any reason why not to, why not to make it smaller, especially if you can keep all of the ports in there. If they start taking ports away, though, as Apple often does when they miniaturize things, that might be a little bit disappointing. So I wouldn't want to see them do that. But definitely if they could cut down the case size. I mean, there's a lot of extra room in there. There's a big giant fan in there that they don't need anymore. So what do you think? What do you think Apple should do with the Mac Mini and the form factor? Do you think that's something we'll see Apple redesign this year? I would imagine we could see a redesign this year. It feels like 2022 would be a great year to do that, especially if they throw in a new M2 processor. Uh, I'd love to see it. So uh, what do you think? Let me know, maccast at gmail.com. Tom wrote me this week uh, to kind of throw a thing out to the community and just ask me some questions about a recent issue he ran into with Microsoft OneDrive. Now, I'm not a OneDrive user. I have access to it because I have Microsoft 365, but I don't really use it all that much. But Tom does, and in the past he said that OneDrive had the ability to define a OneDrive folder on an external drive with an option to allow you to keep all of the files local on the device. And so that works out great for doing local backups and syncing to the cloud and all that sort of stuff. But apparently recently and suddenly they made a change to the software that uh, Microsoft said was for the better, but it feels like the community and users weren't really feeling that. OneDrive said they had updated to use the Apple File Provider program. And when they did that, they switched off the option to have all your files saved locally on your device. And they moved it to On Demand. And so that kind of means two things. One, uh, that you could no longer store your files on an external drive. So they turned off that functionality. And that um, the files in the OneDrive folder now had to be stored locally and couldn't be stored on externals. And so Tom was, you know, a little bit bothered by this, rightfully so, because why would you change all that stuff? And especially if you have limited storage space on your Mac, you're going to want to be able to store things on an external, especially something like OneDrive, where you're maybe syncing a lot of files. And so I kind of did a little digging in on this because I was curious, why would they have switched this functionality? And it, it seems like one of the reasons they potentially switched this was largely due to the fact that Apple, as of Mac OS 12.3, has deprecated support for kernel extensions. And I think a few other apps kind of got hit by this. I think Dropbox was another one of those. And so uh, you have that, and then plus there's a big advantage to switching to Apple file providers, as OneDrive pointed out when they kind of announced this, just because it better integrates with the Mac OS and iOS, especially iOS, because you can get access to all your cloud file locations like OneDrive from the Files app and from the file picker that's built into 
the operating system. So it just integrates a lot better. But it did mean that they had to change the location of the OneDrive files. They moved those into your home folder, into the library folder under cloud storage in the OneDrive personal folder. And the big thing here was they made it so that that couldn't be changed. And so I think where they made a mistake, where a lot of um, developers seem to make a mistake, is taking away functionality that folks like Tom and a lot of people out there really rely on and depend upon. And it's extremely frustrating, especially when they don't explain why they're doing it. And it definitely was really odd to turn off the functionality to have your files all stored locally and move to the on-demand version, which is basically like like Apple's optimized storage. So what it would do is if you're running out of space or if the operating system needs space, it would have the ability to remove older files that were local and just have those up in the cloud. So you'd have to re-download them. But the frustrating part about that is two things. One, if you're offline, you don't have access to your files. And two, uh, if you do local backups, your your files are potentially not there to be backed up. So that becomes a problem. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why even with iCloud storage, I never use, at least on my Mac, where I back up my main files uh, to, say, Backblaze or Carbon Copy Cloner. I make sure that I have optimized turned off. You know, I want all those files local. And Tom was in that same boat, but with his external drive. Now, the good news, Tom, is I, as I was researching this, found a blog post. I think it's from February 24th. I'll link to it in the show notes at maccast.com, but it looks like Microsoft kind of listened to the community and added back the options for always keep on this device and for being able to go to an external volume. It seems like the way they're handling the external volume thing is with a SIM link. Uh, So you can move it to your external thing, and then it'll put a SIM link back to the library, cloud storage, OneDrive personal directory, and then just keep everything in sync from there. So good that they did that reversal, but Tom still had asked the original question, hey, where can I find a solution where, one, my files are all stored locally and in the cloud, two, my files are stored on external drive, not the internal drive, and three, my files are backed up reliably. And I originally replied before I found out that OneDrive had kind of done this reversal that I believe that Dropbox can allow you, it does allow you to place your Dropbox on an external drive and uh, you can do it that way. I do want to point out that, you know, as nice as being able to use like cloud services like this and store the files for that cloud service on an external drive, as, as, as nice as that is, there is ultimately an, a potential issue with storing files that you're syncing on an external drive, and that is it can potentially impact reliability because what happens when that volume is unmounted and if it's unmounted for a long period of time? Your files are going to get pretty far out of sync potentially, and syncing things back mm, might be a little bit dicey. So use caution if you're doing an external sort of syncing of a directory or just at the very least make sure that your drive is always mounted or is mounted as much as possible uh you know a really good syncing service should be able to handle discrepancies but again if you get really out of sync that can get a little bit tricky so i think that's why a lot of services don't encourage it like dropbox they say you can do it but again they don't really encourage it they encourage it they say you really should use 
your internal drive. So that's one option. You could go to Dropbox. Um, the other thing I would point out is if uh, you're looking for really reliable cloud backup, I would say use a cloud backup service like Backblaze. Uh, the, that's the service that I use. Uh, there's lots of those out there. I guess the key difference there is those services aren't really designed for syncing, right? It's not a syncing service. It's actually a backup service. And with Backblaze, they do have an iOS app that would allow you to access your cloud files, uh, but you have to use their app. It doesn't integrate with the files app or the operating system. It doesn't provide an Apple file provider. So it's really not quite the same thing. And again, it's not a sync. So if, if you go into the Backblaze app and you grab an app and you work with it, you have to push it back up to the cloud yourself or put it back in a storage location where it's going to get backed up again or synced again. Uh, so it's totally independent, a little bit different, but that might be an option for some folks as well. So just another thing to think about. Um, but yeah, if anybody else has recommendations for a syncing service that meets Tom's three criteria, let us know about it. Maccast at gmail.com. And I guess while we're on the subject of cloud stuff, um, Bob wrote me to say that he had been reviewing some of his iCloud app data and he found data from an application that was unfamiliar to him and was not currently installed on any of his devices. And he sent me a screenshot of this, uh, and it even had kind of a somewhat suspicious name and it got me a little bit worried that he might uh, have a hacker on his iPhone. It, the app was called COPD, and then it had some Chinese characters after it. Um, and it basically had a little bit of encrypted data, what, what it called encrypted data, stored in his iCloud. And so he emailed me to say, hey, what happened here? How could have this have happened? And uh, I started looking at it a little bit more deeply and realized, oh, hey, uh, what probably is going on here is that that app at one point had been installed. It could have even been years ago and then simply forgotten about. Uh, it's also a possibility if it's a really old app that maybe it was called something different in the past. And so maybe you're just not recognizing it or it's not immediately recognizable. And that's because apps that sync or store data in iCloud will not have their iCloud data deleted if you simply delete the app from your device. It just hangs around there. Uh, I think it's because having the iCloud data up there allows you to, you know, you're syncing and you're basically backing up the data and other devices may use that data. And so it just doesn't get removed. So it sort of serves as a backup. And in theory, if you ever reinstall the app, then you would get your data back. And I've been grateful for this with games, right? Games that store your play history and stuff in iCloud you're able to delete that game from your device. And then when you reinstall it, you haven't lost all of your advancements and your place and, and those sorts of things. So Bob's question did for me kind of bring up a good topic of discussion for us here on the MacCast. And that is housekeeping, right? Just cleaning up your data and being aware that, you know, iCloud data backup data and, and file data that is synced to iCloud doesn't necessarily go away when you delete the app. So you may want to periodically go through 
and manually review your iCloud data and clean up any old data for apps that you really are not planning on using anymore and you just don't want eating up your iCloud storage. So if you go into settings on your iOS device uh, and then tap your name at the top to access your iCloud account, tap on iCloud, tap on manage storage, you can scroll through the list of all the apps that are storing data in iCloud. And you can tap on any one of those apps and you can delete its data to remove that data from iCloud. So a little bit of house cleaning and that's probably all you need to do, Bob, to kind of deal with this app. I don't I don't think there's anything nefarious going on. My guess is it's just something that was really old and kind of totally forgotten about. Hope that's the case. If not, uh, email me back and we'll investigate even further. And then finally, uh, for the MacCast for this week, I have a thing of the moment from a listener. And I love it when uh, you email me and say, hey, Adam, I've got a really, really cool thing that I ran a class that I want to share with the community. So if you ever have that happen to you, uh, please send those recommendations, those uh, picks along, and we'll share them just like we're about to share this one. And this one came from Ryan, who said, hey, my daughter actually came up to me recently and asked if there was a way to take a bunch of pictures, put them together so it was like a video. And he used that opportunity. I love this. This is a great dad moment, right? He used this opportunity or or mom moment to explain that it was a form of animation and video editing called stop motion. And they went in and kind of talked about different examples and movies she probably was familiar with. And then after that, he searched the app store for software so that she could create her own stop motion videos. And he said, hey, I found this great app called Stop Motion Studio. And the app has all the tools you need to create stop motion animation using your phone or your iPad camera. There's things like a timeline for editing. It does what's called onion skinning, which is you take one photo and then it will give you some transparency and you can see how far you're moving an object in your stop motion frame. And so that allows you to really finely control the animation. Uh, It has effects, it has sound effects, it has a bunch of really, really cool, fun features that makes it really easy to just build simple little, and even, I would imagine, advanced stop motion animations uh, using an iPhone or iPad. You can even use external cameras if you go for the paid version. Uh, And so there are a lot of options there. So there is a free version. You can just download it. It does have some more advanced features disabled. There are in-app purchases. There's an in-app purchase for that. It's just $4.99 US. So it's a $5 app and that unlocks all of the features. So it's not feature by feature. It's not a subscription. So not really expensive. I will really point out if you search for it on the App Store, uh, they do sell a quote-unquote pro version, but really the free version and the pro version are exactly the same. It's just the free version has an in-app purchase to unlock the pro features, or you could just pay $4.99 and get the pro version. But ultimately, all the same features between the two apps. So that's a little bit confusing. But I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And, you know, that is a cool app. I also want to throw in an honorable mention uh, for one of my favorite stop motion uh, apps on the iPad, and that's iStopMotion from Boinks. 
unfortunately, I don't think Boinks has updated the app in a couple years, but it still works great. It's still available on the App Store. It's free, and uh, it is a really, really nice app for doing stop-motion an- animation. They used to have a Mac version that was even more full-featured and could do all kinds of cool stuff. But unfortunately, I think it's dead at this point because it relied on older QuickTime technology, and I don't think they ever updated it. So I was looking on their website, and that's no longer there. But the iPad version is still there, and it still is great. So that's another alternative. So either Stop Motion Studio or iStopMotion, and play around with... uh, animations and a uh, big thank you to Ryan because he sent me one of his daughter's uh, stop motion animations and it was really fun it was really really great so if you happen to actually download one of these apps and make a, a stop motion animation I'd love to see it as well so if you want to send that along I'd appreciate it metcast at gmail.com but with that that is going to do it for the show for this week Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly you can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IAM9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I've talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast. Or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. 